Dr. Luke gives us the language for our text this morning. In Luke chapter 6, he's telling us about the twelve men that Jesus chose to be his closest companions. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 16, describing one of those men, the American Standard Version reads, And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Folks, there is no more tragic figure close to the cross of Jesus than Judas. Judas is not only tragic, but Judas is also baffling, and Judas is also perplexing. You see, if you look at Judas... And as all of us look at Judas, we do not all come away with the same impression of this man. Some folks look at Judas and they see in Judas a blundering and a mistaken hero. But the vast majority look at Judas and all they see in Judas is an inhuman scoundrel. And when all you see in Judas is an inhuman scoundrel, then you have closed your eyes to a lot of things in Judas that were good. But those who see Judas as nothing more than an inhuman scoundrel remember only one single act of his pathetic pilgrimage. The only thing they remember is his betrayal of Jesus. And somehow to me that just is not quite fair. Would you like to have your life judged completely solely on the one worst thing that you've ever done? Well, I wouldn't. And I don't think you would either. So I want to ask you this morning, to look at Judas again. And as much as possible for the moment, forgetting that one black spot on his life. You see, Judas Iscariot was not a monster. He was a man. He was just as human as you are and as I am. And I know that might sound a bit trite, but that's the way it is. You see, those of us who are decent and respectable, those of us who are upstanding folks, we're t- prone to look upon those who go vastly wrong in life as being entirely different from us. They are made of the slime and ooze of this world and not of the fine material that you and I are made of. So it's difficult for us to look at Judas and realize our kinship with the one who betrayed Jesus Christ. 
But he was human. And not only was Judas thoroughly human, he was not always a traitor. He was certainly not born with the guilt of treachery upon his baby soul. When his mother held him in her arms for the very first time and looked into the eyes of that newborn baby boy, and when she watched him through those young and tender years of his life, she saw no treachery there. And if you look at the story of his life as he walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine with Jesus and with Peter and Andrew and James and John and the others, During those early days of his fellowship with Jesus, there was no treachery there. He was not a traitor. Now, I know. There are folks that say, oh, he was a traitor from the very beginning. But I'm going to tell you something. The Scriptures do not make that assertion. In John chapter 6 and verse 70, Jesus said, Have I not chosen you? The twelve, and one of you is a devil. But the real meaning of that latter clause in that statement is, one of you is devilish. That was the way Jesus spoke of Judas a year before the betrayal. Because you see, at that point, Judas had turned and Judas was facing in the wrong direction. But that, beloved, is not to say that Judas was wholly bad. Judas never became wholly bad. The fact that after he realized what he had done, and that the ghastly deed that he had performed filled him with such horror, shows there was still a lot of good in this man. A man entirely dead to goodness would not have gone back and tried to give that money back and then gone out and taken his own life. When Jesus said to Judas, you're devilish, he was actually saying what you and I say about each other sometimes. His criticism was actually no sharper than what Jesus spoke personally to Simon one day. It was when they took that retreat to the coast of Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16. And Jesus had asked the disciples, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And then He said, Well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon had just risen to great heights. He had told Jesus He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus even answered Him with a great deal of enthusiasm. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. But a moment later, Peter was warning Jesus against accepting the cross. And when Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, in Matthew 16. That was a sharp and cutting word. But when Jesus said to Simon, Get thee behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me, it didn't mean that Simon was completely bad. 
And when Jesus says one of you is devilish, when His sharp word about Judas is spoken, that doesn't mean that Judas is beyond hope. Yes, he became a traitor. But he was not always a traitor. We can assume that at one time he was a loyal, faithful friend of Jesus. He was a disciple. Judas actually began to follow Jesus before he was chosen as an apostle. And nobody put a loaded gun to his head and forced him to follow Jesus. Guns hadn't been invented yet. But nobody put a knife to his throat or a spear to his side and forced him to follow Jesus either. He did it of his own choice. How they met, Scripture does not reveal. But one day, Jesus Christ and Judas Iscariot stood face to face. One day, they looked into each other's eyes. Maybe Judas was standing out on the edge of the crowd. And he heard this strange young prophet speak. He heard him say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Even with that, even hearing that, Judas became a disciple of Jesus. This amazing man, Jesus Christ, cast a spell over Judas that he found it impossible to resist. Now, there are a lot of folks that look at Judas and they always want to believe the worst and they figure that Judas actually became a disciple of Jesus out of mixed motives. That he was not altogether unselfish. Granted, he was not always seeing eye to eye with Jesus. But if you go into the realm of motives, if you look deep into the motives of all of our hearts, are any of us here this morning really ready to pick up a stone and throw it at Judas? I'm not. We're not in a position to cast stones at Judas, folks. And neither are James and John, by the way. You remember James and John? They were the two guys that, that came one day hiding behind Mama's skirts to ask for positions of particular honor in the kingdom. They had their mother come and, and ask if one could sit on the right hand and one on the left hand of Jesus when He set up His throne in His kingdom. And the fellow disciples were filled with a lot of indignation over that. And their indignation was not a righteous indignation. It was indignation that James and John were seeking the same positions of power that they themselves wanted. If you go back to the night that Jesus was betrayed and He ate the, the last Passover with the apostles, when Jesus girded Himself and took a basin and washed their feet, do you know what the apostles were doing? They were arguing among themselves about which one was the most important. So they can't throw a lot of rocks at Judas either. 
I believe that Judas was at one time a friend of Jesus. Not just because he chose to follow Jesus, but because Jesus chose him to be an apostle. Jesus did not have to choose him. There were others. Others who I'm quite sure were worthy that Jesus could have selected instead. So why did Jesus select Judas? I'm certain that Jesus did not choose him because he was a scoundrel. Jesus was a good man. And a good man does not choose his friends on the basis of them being scoundrels. And Jesus did not choose him because he looked into his heart and said, Oh, you're going to be a traitor. Jesus chose Judas for the same reason he chose the others. He saw in Judas a man of fine possibilities. He chose Judas because he saw in Judas the makings of a great servant and the makings of a great saint. And you know, we can also be sure that Judas was at one time a friend because Judas was regarded that way by the other disciples. They trusted Judas. They trusted Judas enough that they made him their treasurer. Now let me ask you a question. Who's got your checkbook? Do you let just anybody have your checkbook? Do you just go to somebody and say, Hey, would you like my checkbook and be able to write checks on No. It hasn't been that long that I've had a debit card on Norma's account. Who do you trust with your checkbook? The disciples, the other apostles, trusted Judas to have the checkbook. He was a friend. When Jesus sent them all out on a mission, it's obvious and evident that Judas did his work as well as the rest of them did. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't all turn at Judas and say, he's the one. They all said, Lord, is it me? Is it I? Judas was at one time a friend. So how did it happen? How did this trusted friend, this man that had the checkbook, this man that was so close, this man that was a part of this inner circle of twelve, how did he become a traitor at some point there came a time that Judas turned away from Jesus at some point he took a false step at some point he began to travel in the other direction at the time it seemed a small thing but its end was tragic Folks, for every one of us, the direction that we are traveling is of utmost importance.
What you are and what I am is important. But what we're becoming is more important. Judas, for some reason, took the wrong road. As to how it happened, we don't know. We can't be sure. Judas was the only one of the twelve that was not a Galilean. That might have offered some fertile soil in which seeds of resentment and jealousy could grow. One day it became clear to Judas that all the apostles did not share equally in the confidence of Jesus. There were certain apostles that Jesus was taking into an inner circle of friendship. Those included Peter and James and John. Blundering Peter, hot-headed, hot-hearted James and John. And yet Judas, Judas was quite possibly one of the brightest, if not the brightest, and best trained men of this whole group. And Judas, who thought well of himself, Judas, who had a high opinion of himself, was not a part of that inner circle. And it's quite probable that that was a keen disappointment to Judas, that he was not part of that group. It might have aroused in him a resentment that grew more bitter and bitter as time passed. And then this resentment was fest, it festered and was fostered because things weren't turning out the way Judas had hoped that they would. You see, like so many in that day and time, when he began to follow Jesus, even like many of the twelve, Judas was certain that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. Judas, as I said, he shared that faith along with the other apostles. Here's a man that's going to set his people free. He's going to enable his nation to put its foot right down on the neck of its enemies. They're going to be able to conquer people the way they've been conquered. But once again, Judas met disappointment. Jesus made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that's when the time was right. Things were ripe for a decisive blow and yet, Jesus did nothing more aggressive than weep over the city He should have captured and conquered. Maybe it dawned on Judas, He's not going to be a conqueror after all. Judas was disappointed in his own advancement and in the prospects of this worldly kingdom. And so he reached a point someday, perhaps, that he said, Well, I'll get as much out of this mad adventure as I possibly can. So you know what he began to do? He started stealing from the common purse. Well, now, he didn't call it stealing. At first, he just told himself, I'll replace that money someday. And then he told himself, well, you know, I'm actually doing all this. This is just a part of my legitimate salary. I mean, after all, I am doing most of the work. I'm entitled to this. Besides... The money he was taking out of the common purse, no more than they had, it was a trifling sum compared to what he 
could have been making if he hadn't given up everything to follow Jesus on this wild goose chase they were on. So while Judas is soothing his conscience by soft lies to himself, and while Judas is deceiving his fellow apostles, it dawned on him one day, there was one person he wasn't deceiving. He realized something. Jesus knew him for what he was. Looking into those kindly eyes, those loving eyes of Jesus Christ, Judas saw disappointment as Jesus looked deep into his soul. So Judas finds himself uncomfortable in the presence of Jesus. He finds himself even heartbroken in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of the one who had at one time been his comfort and his joy, he's heartbroken and uncomfortable. And you know what he did? He put the blame on Jesus, not on himself. So he came to hate this one-time friend with a deadly hatred. The hatred was so intense that he conspired at last with the enemies of Jesus. He said, what will you give him? What will you give me? And I'll deliver him to you. And what was the price? Thirty pieces of silver. The price of a common slave. Judas no doubt had expected more. But his seducers had him at their mercy. Judas had betrayed Jesus into their hands and there's no looking back now. And he took the money. I mean, after all, 30 pieces of silver was 30 pieces of silver even then. But you see, that paltry amount of money, greed was not the primary motive in betraying Jesus. Because had that been the case, you remember when Mike read our communion focus and Judas kissed Jesus in the garden that night? If greed had been the primary motive, Judas wouldn't have kissed him that night. Because that kiss in the garden was more than just a finger pointing Jesus out to his foes. If you actually look at the passage in the Gospel of Mark, and in the original language, Mark actually tells us that he kissed him much. It wasn't just a quick peck. He kissed him much. And there was venom in those kisses. Jealous, disappointed Judas had come to so hate the man he once loved that he could betray him with a kiss. What can we say of the destiny of this pathetic man? That's what Simon Peter tells us. He tells us Judas went to his own place. And that's delicately stated. He does not affirm that his 
pathetic friend plunged into eternal night. Simon says he went to meet the destiny he prepared for himself. You see, we enter the door that we're ready to enter. We can in this life prepare ourselves for the companionship of the holiest and the best. We can live the life that Jesus wants us to live. Or we can prepare ourselves for the companionship of those who hate the best and those who love the worst and live our lives out of harmony with the will of Jesus. We go where we have prepared ourselves to go while living on this earth. And that's what Judas did. Wherever traitors are at home, wherever those who reject Jesus are at home, there we can find Judas. After he betrayed Jesus that night, Judas expected just to go on his merry way. This is why I said he wasn't wholly bad. He can't do it. He's betrayed Jesus. But a fatal fascination draws him to the trial. And there, he hears the man he's betrayed sentenced to death. And then a terrible reaction sets in. Can you imagine the suffering of this desperate man? The torture he's going through inside? Can you feel the heat of the flames of hell that are kindled inside of his heart? Because now, hearing Jesus, the man he once loved, the man he's betrayed, hearing him sentenced to death, the worst hour of Judas' life is upon him. He's needed help before. But never has the need for help been as crushing as it is at this point. All of us face an hour of need in our lives. And where we turn in that hour of need tells a great deal about us. When life has fallen into ruins, when the sky has turned dark, when everything's closing in and falling down around us, where do we go? People seek help from a lot of different sources in this world. Some folks turn to drink, some to drugs, to various pleasures of the senses. And a litany of things we could mention. But when our life is in shambles, there is only one source for help. And that one source is Jesus Christ. He's the source of all strength and all power. The question is, is He the Lord and Master of your life this morning? If He's not, He needs to be. To me, the great tragedy of Judas is not the fact that he betrayed Jesus. The great tragedy of Judas is that after spending three years with my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, 
Judas Iscariot did not know Jesus. Had Judas Iscariot gone to Jesus and fallen down at his feet and said, Master, I have sinned. Jesus would have said, I don't care what you've done. Get out of here. No, he wouldn't have. Jesus would have said, it's okay, my son. I forgive you. But Judas Iscariot did not realize, after three years with Jesus, that he could go to Jesus and be forgiven. So he went out and he hanged himself. To me, that's the great tragedy of the life of Judas. I don't know the need of your life this morning. But if you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life, now is the opportunity to do it as we stand and always sing.